Thank you, Pastor Chris. Thank you, worship team. And, and yes, thank you for all of our, our Christmas elves that decorated your place. And uh, so thankful for the, all of our volunteers this past week and labor of love. It really is. And, and the time that was spent, many of them spent long days, long hours to, to, to make this place look like a little bit of a Christmas wonderland. And, um, and I appreciate everyone involved with that. And so, man, we're so glad that you're here. And uh, we kick off a new series called Titans of Comfort and Joy. Titans of Comfort and Joy. Um, there was a man that went to a doctor, and uh, he had some testing done, you know. He went to the doctor, and the doctors, you know, brought him in the room and, and told the guy, he said, listen, I've got bad news, and I've got worse news. That's not, that's not good if you hear the doctor say something like that. I've got bad news, and I've got worse news. And, I, and the guy was like, well, all right, well, doctor, give up to me straight. Give me the bad news. I said, the doctor said, what, sir? In 24 hours, you're going to die. The patient, he's like, man, that's pretty bad. I mean, what could possibly be worse than that? What's the worst news? And the doctor says, well, I was supposed to tell you yesterday. <laughs> Bad news. <laughs> we live in a world, right? We live in a world full of bad news. Bad news and darkness. I mean, there's darkness all around us. Bad news. We turn on the news. We, 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 we read, well, I, I said we read the newspaper. I don't know how many of us read the newspaper. We read the news app. Here we go. Maybe read the news app or online. And, and you read and you see the world is just dark, full of bad news. Of course, right? There's some good things happening in the world. But as we enter into shorter days and, and longer nights of, of, of winter, it's hard for us to deny that the world that we live in is dark. And so as we approach this Christmas season, I challenge us not to put our head in the sand. I challenge us not to just sing jingle bells a little bit louder and just ignore the darkness because it's there. We need to acknowledge that it exists. However, at the same time, we need to look to God for the hope that he brings. Uh, some of you here this morning you need to hear that. You know, if, if you're struggling with life, you know, you, 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 you're going through depression, discouragement. Maybe you're feeling the darkness. Maybe there's confusion in, in your life. I just want you to know here that you are not alone. You're not alone. In fact, you're, you're really good company here. But you're not alone if you're feeling that. Bad news, it's everywhere. And that would be completely discouraging if it weren't for the one thing, and it's this. And if you're taking note, it's when the, dark, when the darkness is the deeper, that's when the light shines the brighter. The darker the night, right, the brighter the light. If you, you know, it's been a while for me um, that I've gone diamond shopping. 
And uh, <laughs> you ever go to a diamond store, the jewelry store, and you look for a diamond. And it's interesting. What, what do they do? They put the diamond, right? They put it in the, can, you know, in the, in the glass case, and it, 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 the backdrop of that diamond is typically black. And they do that on purpose because they want that diamond, right? They want that diamond to really pop, to really shine through. And this is why I'm so fired up about Christmas. We love Christmas around here because every time we have Christmas, it, it really, I, I, I believe that it just really helps us to see how bright, in the dark world that we live in, how bright our Savior is. Uh, so we're going to talk about the contrast here, darkness and light. And we're going to see how bright Jesus is during this Christmas season. In fact, I want to go back to a time in history 2,000 years ago. It's a very dark, dark time. We go to a place in the middle of nowhere in the Middle East. And we're among, we're among some shepherds, they're outcasts. Uh, they're low life. They, they are, some of them are fugitives on the run. Uh, their, their life is, 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 you know, no one cares about them. In, in fact, they can't even worship in the temple because they're considered unclean because they work around sheep and animals. And so they're, they're kind of on the outside, outcast. And in the time in history, 2,000 years ago, all of a sudden, these, in the middle of the night, a bright angel shows up and light up the dark night and had a very important message. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, we see this story in verse number 8. They're in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields. They're keeping watch over their flock by night. They're minding their own business. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Titans of great joy. This is a series. We're calling it a series. Titans of comfort and joy. The angel says, I'm going to bring you good tidings. In other words, I'm going to bring you good news. That's what it means. Good news of, of, of great joy. And then here's the kicker. Here's the big surprise in this whole sentence. And so I'm going to bring you, you know, tidings, great news of great joy, which will be for all people. All people. This good news will spark joy for everybody. The Jews... The Gentiles, the Samaritans, the Romans, anybody who's ever lived, and anyone who ever will live. This message was so good that it will be 
good news of great joy for our people. And we see this emulated in the gospel through and through. In fact, this morning, we're going to go to the book of Matthew. And we're going to see the truth that the good news of Jesus is available to everyone. And we go to the very first book of the, very, of the New Testament, very first book of the gospel, Matthew. And the opening verses of Matthew, I got to be honest with you. I did a better job opening up a sermon with a joke. Because when you read Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 17, very likely you might fall asleep. I mean, it could be a little bit of a snooze fest. In fact, some of you, you probably see these type of verses in the scripture. We call them genealogies. And we just kind of skim through it. Uh, how many of you are, you know, come on, you know, I know, I do too, I just kind of skim it. You know, just names after names after names after names after names. I mean, oh, I know that name, but everybody else. And, and if you're not careful, you know, when we're younger, you know, you start looking at these names and you say, you know, your mind starts looking for future baby names. <laughs> Which, you know, you might get some bad ideas. You know, you're going to see some of these names. Some of you are going to be doing that now. You're going to be like, ooh, baby names. Ooh, that'd be a bad baby name. Uh, and, and so, but man, I hope in here, and I love this. I love how Matthew opens. At first glance, it sounds boring. But then you start to see, wow, I love what Matthew did. Because he kicked off. The genealogy, this very important genealogy. And it really teaches that the gospel, that the good news was available for everybody. So I want you to join me here. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read it. You're going to see some names. And then I might do some skimming. We'll help you with this. You know, we'll kind of get through it pretty quick because I don't want to lose some of you here. You know, but I'm going to read it, but then we're going to unpack it for the next two weeks. The next two weeks. Matthew chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Now, so far, right, all of us were tracking. I said, I know these guys. Right? You went to Sunday school class. You grew up in Sunday school. You know these names. You say, I'm good, Scott. Come on. Verse number three. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah. Anybody remember reading about them in Sunday school? I didn't. Now, his mother was Tamar. We're going to talk about Tamar next week. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Abinadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Okay, somebody, okay, Boaz, that sounds familiar. Whose mother was Rahab. Rahab was the harlot of Jericho. We read that story right before the Jericho wall falls down. That, this is, okay, so I know, I know that, right, I'm back. Then Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. 
We have a whole book in the Old Testament named after this person, Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and then Jesse became the fa- what the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, and then Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and I was starting to get lost in the weeds again here, all right? Abijah to Asa, verse number eight. Asa to Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat to Jehoram, Jehoram to, the, to Uzziah. See, I'm skimming, okay? I'm skimming a little bit. Verse number, verse number uh, nine, Uzziah to Jotham, Jotham to Ahaz, Ahaz to Hezekiah. Verse 10, Hezekiah to Manasseh, Manasseh to Amon, Amon to Josiah, verse 11, Josiah to Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. And after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah to Sheotil, Sheotil to the father of the father of Jerubbabel, and then Jerubbabel in verse 13 to Abihud, Abihud to Eliakim, Eliakim to Azar, Azar to Zadok, Zadok to Achim, Achim to Elihud, verse 15, Elihud to Eleazar, Eleazar to Nathan, Nathan to Jacob. And then verse 16, we kind of get to the story. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. There were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the exile to Babylon, and then 14 from the exile to the Messiah. All right, so some of you, I'm sure, like I said, you got some good ideas for some baby names. All right, Abinadab, Zadok. In fact, I mentioned that this morning, someone came up to me afterwards and said, I know someone that named their son Zadok. I said, man, that's guaranteed that that kid's going to hate their parents for the rest of their lives. You know, most of us, you know, aren't into genealogies. You know, you can, you know, you can, you can pay some money to a website. And, and you can unpack your family's genealogy. I refuse to do that because I'm afraid what I might find out about my family. You know, there might be some things that just, it's best left, you know, covered up. I don't need to know, you know. You know, genealogy. And we might think it's odd for Matthew to kind of start off the gospel with a set of names. But there's a reason that he does it. You see, the genealogy of Jesus is everything you need to know about Christianity. And like I said, I'm going to unpack it for the next two weeks. Today we're going to look at point one and two. And then next Sunday we'll look at point three and four. And, uh, and, and you're going to see how rich and how powerful, how important for us to know that this good tidings, this good news, it's available for everybody. The first thought here, the first thing we can learn from the genealogy of Jesus is that the gospel, number one, is not good advice. It is the good news. Most stories or fairy tales, they kind of start out with the phrase, once upon a time, or in a galaxy far, far, far away. Depends on what your story line like, what your story you like. But Matthew, he doesn't start that way. He starts out with a genealogy, which is in a way of saying to us that what I'm going to tell you actually happens. It actually happened. It actually took place in time and space. 
that this is, that the story of the gospel actually took place, and there's a timeline. These are real names with real people, real family. And, and we learn through this genealogy that Christianity, most important feature, that it is actual history. And at the core of Christianity, there is not a set of principles, if you're taking notes, not a set of principles that Jesus taught us. But it's something that Jesus was going to do for us. That's the core of Christianity. You know, most religions, when you, when you start to peel back the layers of the different world religions, they're built on teachings and principles that, that really would be true whether the religious founder ever lived or not. The religious founder was just a mouthpiece for those teachings. Most of those founders died. That was it. All that they have is, is teachings and principles. However, for Christianity, Christianity depends on a set of events that actually took place in time and history, because at the core of Christianity, it's not about the teaching of Jesus, but it's what happened and what he did for you and for me. That he died, he was buried, and he rose again. That's what separates him, and that's what separates Christianity from all the other religions in the world. It's more than just teaching. It's about something that happened. And scholars, they'll point out that the Gospels, you know, they're basically just prologues to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The central element in each Gospel is the death of Christ. They skim over 33 years of his life, including three years of his ministry. They skim through it, the teaching, and they get to the main point that he died, he was buried, he took the price of our sin, he took the penalty of our sins, bearing all of our sins on the cross, died in our place, and he rose again. That, that is the core, that's the central truth for all four Gospels. It's interesting to know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke combine those three Gospels only covers 57 days of the life of Christ. We're just barely scratching what we know about Jesus. And the book of John, the Gospel of John, only covers 20 days of the life of Christ. I love how the Gospel of John, how John wrote at the end, that if I was to write everything that Jesus did and everything that he taught, that the world would not have enough book to take care of it. And so they say, you know what, all the teaching of Jesus, that's important, but what's more important is not what he taught, but what he did. What he did for us. And that's why we said that the gospel is not primarily good advice. It's good news. The word gospel, the Greek word, is pronounced euangelion. The first two letters, E-U, it means good. And angelion, the rest of it, it means message, announcement. And then you combine those two words, and, and that word means an announcement of good news. That's where we get the word gospel. The gospel is good news. When the angels announced 
peace on earth and salvation for men. When they said good tidings, they didn't say, behold, the great teacher is here. They said, a savior is here. A savior, he is born. You see, what the world, what humanity needed was not just another good teacher. We didn't need one more religious teacher. We had to listen to the previous ones. Why would we listen to a new one? We, we, see, we needed a different kind of savior, a different kind of salvation. And God became that for us by entering into history. He entered into history and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And those who believe that and receive it will be forever changed, not because of what Jesus taught, but because of what he did. What he did. The most important thing, if you're taking notes, the most important thing about the gospel, the most important thing about this good news is that it must be believed and received, just like a gift. That's the most important thing about the good news. Which means this, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian if you're just trying to emulate the moral teachings of Jesus. Y'all hear that? Let me say that again. You are not a Christian if you're just trying to emulate the moral teachings of Jesus. Even if you keep, even if you've kept them very, very well. Even if you've done a better job than anybody else in the world, at the core of Christianity, again, it's not a set of teaching to be followed, but a gift to believe and to receive. The gospel is not primarily just good advice. It's good news. It's good news. And the genealogy, it just it starts off not once upon a time. It gives us this that Matthew Gospel gives us this concept that this is an actual event that took place. But here's why the genealogy is important, number two. It shows us that Jesus is the center of history. Jesus is the center of history. Matthew Gospel takes what would have been considered to be an insignificant family line, an insignificant genealogy, and it organizes all of human history around it. And here's, here, here's why that's important. At this, at this important history, 2,000 years ago, it didn't seem like Jesus was the focal point of history. Israel was a small backwater country in the middle of the Middle East. It was under the rule of somebody else. Nobody in Rome was paying attention to what was happening in Israel. No one cared about what was happening in Israel. But God, but God had made a promise. He had made a promise to Abraham way, 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 way back before Jesus showed up to bring salvation to the world and it would happen through a Messiah, through Jesus. And at this point in world history, you've got these 
all these powerful nations and people that seem like they're directing things. They're in charge. But what Matthew shows us in the genealogy is that God is the one guiding it all according to his plans. And he brings it all together. The powers of the world but nothing but an allusion to the plan of God. What takes us to today, even right now, we look around the world, it doesn't even look like Jesus is the center of history. Now the media, they don't care, they're not focused on that. They're not focused on what's happening. They're not, they don't care what we do. They're watching the media, they're watching what they think is important. They're watching the financial market. They're watching what's happening in Washington, D.C. They're watching what's happening in a geopolitical world. Their eyeballs are looking at all those things. And those things are like an insignificant drop in the bucket of God's overall plan. The center of history it's what God is doing in the kingdom of Jesus. The accomplishing of his purpose to take salvation to every nation on earth. And God is moving around the most powerful nations at will to accomplish those purposes. There's an unseen story behind the story. And many of the Israelites at this point are discouraged. They look around and see how God can fulfill a promise. In fact, God hadn't spoken in 400 years. A prophet hadn't written anything since the book of Malachi. That was 400 years before Christ. By this time, generation after generation after generation, many of those generations have kind of rolled off God. Some of them, you know, they just kind of believe what happened in the Old Testament and God, the God of Jacob and Judah and Isaac was just a fairy tale. But there's always had been a remnant. There's always been a group of people that still believe. They were still looking, they were still waiting, and they were still watching. Most everyone else said, it's over, it's done. We're nobodies. We're under bondage to Rome. And they look around. I don't see how God can do anything. I say this, my friend. Don't be deceived. It didn't look bad then that God was accomplishing his purpose. But he was. In fact, it was in that moment when everyone thought that God was done. It was in that moment that God was doing his greatest work. I, I, um, my wife and I, about 20 years ago, you know, we were newlyweds. And um, this was back in the days when, when you watch TV, you had to actually watch it live. You know, or you could tape it with a VCR tape, 
you know, and if you know how to work the timer, you can actually set it for the timer, and, and you can watch your favorite shows, okay? Those were, those were the good old days for us, okay? And, um, and there was a show that we had discovered late. It, it, we, you know, it, was already, it was kind of the hottest show about 20 years ago. It was a show called 24. I don't even remember that show, 24, all right? Uh, uh, I've never heard that much show before. Oh, man, you're missing out. This is like James Bond on steroids. 24, and they had about seven or eight or nine seasons of this show. And it's based on 24 episodes, and each episode was one hour of a day, 24 hours. So one season, you know, represent one day in the show. And it was well written. And, um, and the, the main guy of the show, his name was Jack Bowers. Oh, Jack Bowers was the man. I mean, I wanted to name my son Jack Bauer. <laughs> I thought, Jack Bauer, Blanchard, Karen. Like, Come on. And Karen was like, no, we're not going to name it. No, we're not doing that. Come on, Jack Bowers. I mean, how awesome would that be? And, and so season three was already out. Well, we kind of jump in, so we, we got to start the beginning. So we so, I, so we, we, we had to go. We had to go to a movie store to rent. Remember those? You know, you had, like a library. <laughs> so you go and and then you, you check out and 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 they had the season one. You know, and we go and we rent season one. And and we started watching it. That's twenty-four episodes, and we started. It's gonna take a while, man. We started, this was the first time we binge. <laughs> we didn't even know that word existed back then. You know, but we, we watched one episode, and then every episode ended with a cliffhanger. You're like, oh man, I, we can't just, I, I can't go to bed tonight. You know, I don't know if Jack is going to survive this. You know, I think he's going to die. And so we've got to watch the next episode, and we're watching the next episode, and then, you know, he, he makes it. You know, but there were times, listen, there were times with Jack Bowers. I thought, man, he's done for. I don't know how he's going to get out of this mess. It's over. And, I mean, there were actual times where you thought he was dead. The show means you thought he was gone, and then he somehow later on he comes out of cap- captivity in China. I mean, it was a crazy show. You know? And there were times I thought, oh, man, I just don't know how he's going to do this. You know? But then, I'd be in season one. I couldn't figure it out. Well, season two, I said, Karen, I don't know. It's you know, it's like, I don't know either. But then I looked, and we have the DVD for season four in our hands. And Jack Bauer's face is on season four. I said, you know, I know it looked bad right now. I know it looked bad right here in season two for Jack Bauer. But his face is on the cover of season four. And I know he's going to pull through. I know he's got to pull through because he's on, he's on future DVD seasons. He's there. He, he, he's going to make it. He's going to survive. It don't look like it, but he's going to make it. You see, my friend, when we look at our lives right now, we wonder what's going on. We wonder about is Jesus around? My friend, Jesus' face is on both sides of the cover of his book, the Bible. He is on it from cover to cover, and he is in control. It may look dark. It may look dreary. You might be discouraged. You might think it's over. You might be like, man, God, I don't think you're working. But God is doing his greatest Work right now in this moment. He's doing something. And he's doing something in our lives. 
He is working. And my friend, that should give us comfort, that should give us joy. 2,000 years ago, then it looked like Jesus was going to show up. But he did. And a Savior was born. This morning, you might be like, man, my God, my life, I am so discouraged. I feel like my life is falling apart. This has been a tough year. 2023 has not been easy. You may have had lost. Maybe a loss of a, of a dear family member or a close friend. Maybe there's been a loss in, in a job. Or maybe you had to take a pay cut. Maybe there was a relationship that you had to, that was severed. And just trying to figure it all out. I'm reminded over and over and over again that I don't have to figure it out. That God has already got it figured out. That he's on the throne. He's still in charge. Even when life looks hopeless. And I pray that this morning you'll walk out in courage. Because he wins. Jesus' face is on both sides of the Bible, through and through. And he wins. What leads me to my last takeaway? Maybe some of you here, you've been coming to church and you've been trying to hear the teaching. Say, man, the teaching is good. But you, you've listened to all the advice. But you've not done the one thing that's important, the most important thing, is that you've never believed and received the gift. It's not enough to just emulate the teachings of Jesus. My question for you this morning is, have you asked Jesus to come into your life? Have you invited him to come into your life to be your Lord and to be your Savior? to forgive you of all your sins. He's alive today. He rose again. He's waiting for you, for you to open the doors of your heart. But it's up to you to open it and to let him in. But Scott, my life is not ready. I've got, I got things I need to do. I've got, I've got to clean it. No, 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 no. The Bible said that the day of your salvation is today. Don't put off tomorrow what you can do today. He's ready to come in. In fact, he'll come in and he'll do the cleaning. And he'll do a much better job cleaning out than you could do on your own. Today, won't you let him in your life receive that gift and be your Lord and Savior? With head bow and eye closed, and said, Scott, you were just talking to me. I've been playing. I've been checking it out. I've been just trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. And today I want to let him in. Today I want to open the doors of my heart. I want him in my life to forgive me to make me whole and to give me a new life. And if that's you today, the gospel 
It's something to be believed and to receive it. He said, how do I receive it? I believe, how do I receive it? By simply praying to God right where you are. Right where you're sitting. You can invite him into your life. You can pray a prayer. It's a simple prayer. A prayer like this. And you can pray the prayer silently to your heart. In your heart. You don't have to pray it out loud. You can pray right where you are. Because God is listening to the silence of your heart. He's here in this moment. And he's doing the greatest work right now in your life. Are you ready? He's knocking. Will you let him in? Pray a prayer like this. Dear God, I am a sinner. I have fallen short. And today, I want you in my life. Forgive me of my sins. And make me your Lord. I want you to be my Savior. Take me to heaven when I die. Give me a new life. I want to live for you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. With heads bowed and eyes closed, he says, Scott, I pray that prayer. I don't have all that. I don't understand it all, but I do know one thing. I understand that Jesus came into my life. And if you did that, if you asked Jesus to come in your life, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make you stand and have people look at you. No, no, just me. just want to see who you are. But if you pray that prayer, just raise your hand and say, I pray that prayer. I ask Jesus Christ to come into my life. Never done that before. Anybody like that here tonight, this morning? Oh, God, we thank you for the gospel, the good news that's available to all of us. It's the gospel, it's the salvation that you're saving souls today. God, we thank you that you're in control. Even when life doesn't look like it. When life looks like it's falling apart. When our world looks like it's falling apart. Help us to trust you. And to keep our eyes upward. Knowing that you win. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I, I, one more thing before we are done here and Pastor Tom will um, come up and close our service in just a second. But Pastor Chris and Jody Aiken, come up here real quick. These are special guests here today. And, and um, uh, of course, if you were... At our ladies' event last night, uh, Jody spoke last night. She did a phenomenal job. Just incredible. Yeah. And her story and her testimony was just amazing. And um, I heard you writing a book, maybe. I, I can't wait to read it. And so you have to let us know when that's released. And, and so I'm just, uh, it's just uh, you're inspiring. And thank you for, for your ministry to our ladies last night and for so many responses from last night, and, and um, it's an incredible job. And uh, Pastor Chris and we, we're, we're good friends, and um, when we st- 
when Lake Point Church, 15, 16 years ago, didn't exist. It existed on paper. It existed in, in a, in a, you know, God calling and dream for us. We didn't know what that looked like. And uh, Karen and I, we've been praying, and we were still living in Pensacola, Florida. I was on staff at a church. Um, and we started to put it on paper, and okay, we need to start raising support. We had a name, we had a logo, you know, <laughs> and that was it. And uh, we started sending out letters to a bunch of people that we knew, different churches. And uh, Pastor Chris was a pastor of a church in Pensacola. And I've never met him, and he's never met me. And, but somehow, he got that letter. And I don't know if he got passed, it may have been passed on from the McLaughlin. That's what I think it is. I think the McLaughlin passed it on to you. And was just wonderful people. And they passed that information to him, and, and he called me up. He said, hey, I hear you're going to start a church. I said, yeah, I said, I'd love to, I'd love to take you out to lunch. And so we go to Ruby Tuesday. That was your favorite restaurant. That was your favorite restaurant. Go to Ruby Tuesday, and uh, we sit down, and we started asking me all these questions about church planting and how we're going to start a church. And, and, um, and then at the end of that lunch, we said, you know, I'd like for our church to be involved. And so we had some other conversations, and, 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 and your church, Calvary, became the first church to support Lake Point Church. You believe in this, you know, before we even began, you were the first one, no one else. And, and, and what you guys did, you know, just brought, you know, just encouraged us. It's okay, God, you're in there. You didn't even know me. You were like, man, who's the deaf kid? Okay, you know, you, and, and, and every month you started writing a check from Calvary Baptist Church. And, uh, and, and this is your first time here, you know, in 14 years. I don't know why we didn't bring it up here sooner. And, uh, I don't know either. <laughs> but uh, we're just, you know, I, we're here in the first service. You see what God has done. You saw it last night, both of you. And I, it, what you've seen is, it, it's a testament to, to what you guys have been a part of. You had a, a small part in helping us get started. And I just wanted our church, you know, to see, you know, the, the story behind the story. This is part of that. This is part of that. The untold stories. Pastors like Chris and wife Jody and Calvary believing in a church like this, and we thank you. And from Lake Point Church, thank you. It has been a, it's been a great privilege to be up here uh, this weekend with you. I can tell you this is our first time in Detroit, other than to land and to take off quickly. I, when Scott said, when he had this picture in his mind, we're going to go to Michigan and plant a church, I thought, I planted a church in New York. It's cold up there, man. It's cold up there. He's like, I know where it is. I know where it is. And uh, as I've reflected on being here this weekend, being so encouraged by our time with Lake Point, to be with your people last night and to be with your staff who love you, and then to see this vision 
that really was just the work of God in your mind and in Karen's mind and heart in those early days and to see what it's become. You guys are one of the leading churches in the state of Michigan. You're one of the top churches out there and you baptize more people than most every other church, even in the state. And to think that we had just a little insignificant small part in being able to be part of the early part of the story overwhelms me and it's exactly what you're talking about with the gospel. And it encourages me because I think that's Lake Point's story. As I look this morning, here in Shelby Township, 80,000 people live in this area. Nearly 50,000 of them, they don't know about a Lake Point. They, in fact, they don't go to church, they don't go to synagogue, they don't go to a mosque. They don't sit under a tree, pull the lint out of their belly button and contemplate the meaning of life. They have no spirituality whatsoever. There's no religious connection whatsoever. And yet God said, I'm going to take this church, this vision in 14 years and build a great church that's going to be the hope of a city like this. And that's why you're here. And to think that it goes back to an, the only reason I like Ruby Tuesday is it was an all-you-could-eat salad bar. That's why I liked it. it. He used a lunch meeting at a little restaurant and allowed us to develop a friendship. And and for all that's come from it. So we are so proud of you. Hey, listen, church, can I just say to you, um, God's given me the privilege of traveling to a lot of places. We've been all over the world, um, Jody and I, and ministering to pastors and churches. And um, I can tell you, all over the world, there are no finer, there's no finer pastor anywhere than the one God has entrusted to you in Scott Blanchard. I hope you know that. I hope you believe that. Pastor, I believe that. I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for your ministry. You and Karen are a great encouragement to us. And if this is the, this is our first time in Detroit, but if it's the last time, I've already organized a revolt among your people. I said, if if we don't get up here in a few months, I want you to hold your tithe. Don't give any money and tell them until Chris and Jody come back. That's when we're coming. So thank you for letting us be a part of Lake Point Story and for worshiping with your church family this morning. And thank you, church, for what you're doing. Keep pressing on. It matters. It matters. So thank you, Pastor. I just want you to experience a little Southern dialect real quick and just say thank you for embracing us so well and the connections I've made for so many of you. made it hard to get on a plane today and leave. So I just want to thank you so much. You know, um, you had a youth pastor at your church. His name was Jonathan Hill. Jonathan Hill, that's and right. And he's the connection why we have the Hill family. Shelly cleans our building, and, and Ben, he had to work today. But um, and, and because of that connection, we have an awesome relationship with a great family here in our church. Small, so, thin threads yeah, that God world. lets us do it. So, yeah. But hey, let's give him one more time a warm late point. Thank you.